Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Poolside Perspectives Podcast. I am Kevin Woodhurst, and with me is my good friend, Mike Farley, and we're so glad you found this podcast. Together, we have been homeowner advocates in outdoor living and the pool industry for over 30 years. So we understand the challenges you face creating your backyard paradise. We know your curiosity is not enough to ensure your success. So on this podcast, we're going to talk about the design process and practical steps to help you create that space. We'll have some fun mixed in with it, some aha moments, and this is no fluff. No one has time for that. So we're going to get serious and get very particular about all of these topics. Whether you are a new homeowner with your first remodel or a seasoned homeowner competing your last dream home, we are here to help you end up with what you dreamed of. From pools to patios, pizza ovens to pergolas, porcelain to pumps, pool party to permits, ping pong tables to the processes to your paradise. This is straight talk and action steps. Let's get started. Welcome back, everybody. This is Kevin Woodhurst with Mike Farley. And today we have an exciting show for you because we're going to talk about entertainment and who doesn't like to be entertained, Mike? Oh, well, I think everybody enjoys that. So it's a great adventure. It's a great adventure is right. And when somebody decides to get a swimming pool, I got to think they need to be thinking about entertainment. Oh, it's a required that you must have a party on Memorial Day weekend, 4th of July weekend and Labor Day weekend now that you have a pool. And, and or anybody's birthday. Birthdays are a bonus, yes. Weddings. I've had weddings on backyard projects before. Have yeah. I? It's a crazy thing. So one of the things, when I, I talk to people about a pool, there's four things I want to talk to them about. So general activity, which we hit last week. So we're going to talk mm-hmm. about entertainment this week. We're going to talk about exercise and stuff like that later on. And what looks great is another topic. So entertainment, the first question I always ask people is, what is your average size gathering? And a lot of times they're like 20, 25 people. And I'm like, no, not the large gathering. I'm talking Friday night. We're going to have some folks over. What's an average size gathering? So under normal circumstances. Normal circumstances, just the typical situation. And it, before I asked this question, I would make assumptions and I would usually assume wrong. And sometimes I assumed way too low. And then sometimes I assumed way too high. So this is one of the things to create a custom environment for people. You you need to understand how they're going to entertain. Mm -hmm. Because the client just says, my average gathering is 100. And I was like, no, not the large gathering. And they're no, the large one is 500. Okay, that's a different space totally. Then the client says, our average gathering is six. Sure. And they need to talk about it because a lot of times people are building a pool because as a couple, they haven't entertained a lot. And so that's something that they're trying to do more of. And so they're trying to have a vehicle by which they can feel comfortable entertaining. And so the pool space becomes part of that. So a lot of times it's something that they're striving to do, not something that they've done habitually in the past or the planning for the future. Because who you entertain also is a totally different situation as well. Sure. They might be having adults coming over and partying that way, or they're maybe talking about their high school age kids and their friends. Right. And the one thing that's come up with me recently that's becoming more and more popular is the grandparent pool. So we want to have all the grandchildren vacation at our home instead of going to Disney World. And so therefore we will build Disney World in our backyard to get them here. If we build it, they will. And they do. Now, as a grandparent, I understand that philosophy because there are all kinds of places my kids can go on vacation and they have less time to go than I do. And so by creating a space 
sometimes people build a vacation home and a lot of times people are like, what do you need a pool there for? That's part of the draw is they're going to have a place at the lake that they can go ski during the day. But then at night, they want a pool that they can hang out by and sit in the hot tub and enjoy in that space as well. Yeah, because somehow swimming in crystal clear water is a little bit different than a lake that you can't see your feet in. Yes, that, that could be true. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing because I have noticed since being here that there are quite a few people that have lakeside properties that have swimming pools. So they've got access to a beautiful lake, and now we've got access to a nice, clean pool to spend some time in and entertain in, for sure. Along with numbers, I like to understand spaces. One thing that I talk to people about, and they're like, really? How come you're asking this question? And I ask them what furniture they're going to put in a space, because it helps me to understand if there's space that they have. I even ask them about the existing porch. What do you plan on putting up here? And they're like, this is what we're going to put in that space. Sometimes I know from simple math that what they're trying to put there isn't going to work. And so one of the things we may be possibly doing is expanding the porch area to create more of a covered space so they can now have a dining room table that sits 12 on that back porch. Or, gee, we want three couches around the fireplace So versus just a chair, two chairs and a couch. So if I understand what furniture they're going to put by the fire pit, by the pool, in the outdoor kitchen, then I can actually gauge the spaces more correctly. We're planning the space for what it is that they want. And so you're getting information on, okay, what the existing patio area, what are we using this for? Where's the kitchen going to go? Where's the main decking going to go? Where do people want to lay out? Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. It's a big deal. So you've done a lot of remodels. I have. So one of the questions that I ran into in the past was people always said we weren't given enough space to function around this pool. So, you know, my lounge chair falls off the back of the deck. Right. Or if I put a table out there, gee, I can't walk around it when everybody's sitting. It's one of the things I love about our design program yes. is it can give people a good visual of all that. But they're great questions. They have to be asked. They need to be addressed. And I think this is part of what our message is. This isn't just a pool. There's a lot going on here. And a lot needs to be taken into consideration. And at the very least, some planning. Because you may not be able to, like everybody works off budgets and different things. You may not be able to do it all the time. But one of the things you and I both do is we create master plans. So you could piecemeal and go, okay, well, we're going to do the pool this year. And next year we'll add the kitchen or whatever it may be. And that's just important. That way all the pieces go together in this jigsaw puzzle. And it is a puzzle. Yes, very much. So. And it's one that you don't want to get done with and go, where's that piece? One of the things you just mentioned, I think is really important. Some people are like, I want lounge chairs by the pool. Are you going to sit in the shade or are you sitting in the sun? If you're going to sit in the sun in the afternoon, then I want it to be on the eastern side of the pool. So I've got the western exposure with Absolutely. me. So clients don't think about all these things. We're supposed to think about all these things. So later on, they're like, it's amazing how this just all worked out. Right. Anyway, the other thing that's happening, and I think a lot in the industry is furniture sizes are changing a lot. The furniture has just gone from the simple strap style furniture back in the 70s and 80s to exotic furniture that costs as much, if not more, than furniture on the inside of the house. And it's as large, too. Yes, it is. And there's some pretty cool stuff out there that's out on the market from the swing beds. And you could go on and on about all the stuff that you could put in and around a pool. And that's a great point. What are you going to use the pool for? So the question about how many people do you normally 
have here, that's so valid. And you're right, people probably don't think about it. The other thing you want to do when I think about space is a lot of times they want to put the furniture right off the porch in between the porch and the pool because they want good access. And one of the things I try to make people think about is, okay, if you put the furniture right there, you can admire your lovely furniture set, but you're not going to be able to see the pool because exactly. you just block the view of the pool for when you're sitting down inside the house. Now, when you're standing up, you can see over the top of it. But when you're sitting down, which is a lot of times I'm sitting in the living room looking out, I'd like to see my pool. All I can see is the couches and the chairs and the umbrella and all that type thing. So I try to get people to pull their furniture to the sides. So it leaves the view corridor out to the pool open so we can enjoy it all the time. We talked about this in a previous episode about this line of sights, windows, all of those views. And that's what I think that anybody that's been doing this for a while is going to help you understand is let's look at and at least consider some of these other views and some of these other areas which are going to impact how you enjoy it. Because I know that in a lot of areas of the country, you can't enjoy your pool five days a year because it just gets too cold. Or sometimes it gets too hot. So if you could at least have the pool running and hear the water features and look out at it and dream about the time when it's not so hot or not so cold, it helps, I think, absorb the investment in this whole project is you are enjoying it. We're trying to make it so that you're getting some level of enjoyment out of it every single day. Oh, yeah. You'll look at it 365 days out of the year. You'll swim in it. 120, 180 days out of the year, something mm -hmm. like that, depending on where you're at in the country. Unless you put a heater on, then you can go farther. And how do you feel about, do you think every pool should have a heater? I know you think every pool should have a spa, so therefore they get a heater. That's a bonus. Well, that's a good in. point. That's true. So I think that a heater is extremely beneficial for two groups. One is the people that love water. And they like to be in water as much as possible. So if they can extend the season, like right now, temperatures are changing. We're got out of summer. We're into fall now. And as it goes into fall towards winter, you're still going to have days that are 90 degrees outside. But the water temperatures drop. So if you really love being in pool and being in water. If you had a heater, you could just knock it up a few degrees and then it's going to be very comfortable still on that 90 degree day at Thanksgiving. Okay. So you can still enjoy it. So if you're that person, then I think a heater is a really good thing to have. Also, I think if you have children extending the seasons, you can keep them out of the house and have them enjoying the backyard as much as possible. That can also take place. If you have a heater, you, know, you can heat it up earlier in the spring. You can go longer in the winter. I think a heater is a really good thing to have on a pool only. I think it's great too. And I, I think a lot of people are not even aware that you could put a heater on a pool that would heat the pool, but also cool the pool. Now, granted, it has some limitations in the wintertime, but in the summertime when, and we're not, don't need to get on a big, long conversation about heaters, but I will tell you, and, and as you know, that chilling a pool down seven to 10 degrees makes all the world in a difference of enjoyment. So you're talking about a heat pump. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think that's something we should spend a lot of time on. But yes, from an entertainment standpoint, to have the pool, one of the things that's real popular in our family is we were the family that built the pool for the teens. Mm -hmm. So my philosophy was I'd rather know where my kids were hanging out all the time. And so if I built the space where everybody came to, that was fine. And my wife knew how to make chicken spaghetti. And so we could feed them 
and they could come. So we fed a lot of boys through high school. But if I could heat the pool up for New Year's, then we could have a great New Year's party. We played water volleyball for four or five years in a row because the way that it worked is if we had a fire pit that they could hang out around and burn things, that made them happy. If they had a spa that they could hang out in and gather, that made them happy. And then if we had a place that they could play water volleyball and water basketball, they had this thing called water ball, which was like water rugby kind of. Boys can find all kinds of games in a pool. Yes. And so us having a heater, and we have three birthdays also in February. So it was a whole lot cheaper than Chuck E. Cheese to heat the pool and heat the pool so they could use it for, we had to have one party on one weekend and the next party we'd have two, next weekend we'd have two parties. I think this really does tie into the entertainment aspect of it because we're talking about entertainment throughout the entire year. And for those listening that don't understand the difference between a heater and a heat pump. A heat pump is powered by electricity and it can heat and cool the pool, but has some limitations because in the wintertime, when there's no humidity in the air and it's very cool, the heat pump's not going to work. Therefore, you need a gas heater, natural gas heater or propane heater because either of those will work all year long. However, they are not going to have the capacity to chill the pool. Now, they do make separate chillers I have used that once. I wasn't necessarily super satisfied with it, but it could have been some issue. But the heat pumps, I don't know, Mike, I think there should be one on every pool. No, a heat pump's great because you set like a, a thermostat on it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then- You set you, the temperature and leave it. Walk away. Just, just like walk away. you heat the house, you set a thermostat and walk away. And if you want to be the most popular pool in the neighborhood, pool your pool. In the summer, that would make it a great draw. Probably even better than the heated in the winter. I never thought of it quite that way. Not only that, but if you heat it in the winter, you're still going to be popular because half the pools in your neighborhood, if not more, aren't heated either. So you're the house everybody wants to be at. You got a chilled pool in the summertime. You got a heated pool in the wintertime. Now, a heat pump won't be able to heat it up in the dead of winter. It'll extend your seasons in the spring and the fall. But I've had projects where I have put a heat pump on to extend the seasons in Mm -hmm. the spring and the fall, chill it in the summer. But then they have a heater with their spa that they yep. heat it for the dead of winter. That's so, the perfect way to do it. Yeah. So now you've extended the seasons for everything in the swimming pool. Now, the same thing happens in the outdoor living space. We can come in and build a cabana and we can put heaters inside that as True. well. There's gas heaters, there's electric heaters. So we can extend. I have a lot of clients that they want to come in and they want to put screens on the outdoor cabana. So they can bring those down and protect themselves from the wind some, Mm -hmm. and then also heat that space. So they use it 365. There's people also I know that have put in air conditioning into cabanas. Sure. So the same thing, you drop the screens and you cool the space. Fans, fans will do it, misting systems, fogging systems. We, that's a whole nother topic on its own. Yeah, we can get into that some later. So on the entertainment side, I think that the heaters do tie into this, but we were talking earlier about just materials and decking surfaces, and there's just so many options and you rattled off 20 items. And so it ties into the entertainment because you got to walk on this. You got to put furniture on it. You know, you've got to transition from one area to the next. So I think it makes a lot of sense to really understand what's out there. So there's two things that come into play, I think, when you're talking about decking materials. So the first thing that we talk about here 
is what's the temperature. Mm-hmm. And what we're concerned about is the heat in the middle of the summer from a temperature standpoint. Can you walk on the deck? Can you walk on the deck or are you frying eggs on it? So that's one thing that people look at when they're choosing a material that's a big gauge on what they're going to choose. The other thing is, am I going to fall and bust my tail on it? Is it slippery? Correct. Yes, sir. So those are two things to consider, especially as we look at different materials. And there's pros and cons of all of them that fall into that. And then the last thing you have is there's a couple other things. Price point is something that some people look at. But then the other thing is here, again, we have clay soils and so we have movement. So certain materials perform better with movement than other materials, which are going to bust and fall apart. So what we're talking about is, correct me if I'm wrong or if you don't agree, is if we pour concrete decking we know a couple things about concrete, right? It's going to crack. It's just a matter of when and how and where. And so what Mike's saying is that when you've got an area where there's some ground movement, oftentimes it's better to use a paver material because it'll flex with the ground. And now you're not dealing with cracked concrete and taking out a section and re-pouring it, but maybe popping up two or three pieces and replacing them and you're done with it. Or sometimes you can just reset them. True. Uh, You don't even have Mm -hmm. to remove them, but just uh, take them out and reset them. And so pavers come in a number of different materials. So there are concrete pavers. There are predominantly what we use as a stone paver. Although a lot of this has to do with in the part of the country you're in. So certain parts of the country, when it comes to materials, it's about availability and shipping. I remember when I was doing all these six or seven years ago, all these Oklahoma flagstone decks. And I had a guy commenting me in California that he's like, wow. I just can't believe you're doing all that stuff because that stuff is so expensive. I was like, what are you talking about? That's one of the cheapest materials that we have. And he's like, how in the world can it be the cheapest? And then I stopped and thought about it. The reason it's the cheapest is because we're pulling it. Oklahoma flagstone comes 60 miles up the road, comes out of the ground. Okay. Mm -hmm. Versus for him to get it in Southern California, it goes onto a train or a truck and it's shipped out there. And so it's a lot more expensive for him to get it. So different parts of the country, you have different materials that are readily available. And so that's the predominant material that's used. So here in Texas, we pull stone out of the ground all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at a lot of our work, we have a lot of stone heavy situations. Houses are covered in stone. Yes, Everything's covered in stone because it's just a product that's readily available. Versus when I worked in Northern California, the nearest stone, as in flagstone, came from Idaho. Okay. Wow. And that was the closest. So then you had the stuff from Oklahoma, and then there was Arkansas stone, and there was Tennessee crab orchard, and you had New England bluestone. But all this stuff's being shipped clear across the United States. I could count on one hand how many times I did a flagstone coping. We just didn't do it. Sure. We, we used cantilevered concrete because concrete was readily available. Other materials weren't. So in California, you were doing coping around all the pools. And the reason I'm saying this is because there's areas of the country where they do a monolithic pour for concrete. We were. So you're pouring over the top of the beam and back behind it for the rest of the deck. So you might have from the edge of the water out to the backside of the deck, 10, 20, 30 feet. One material. One material. Whereas in Texas, and I would assume, because I have not built in California, because there's a lot of movement there. You're saying they also do a lot of monolithic pours there. I guess it depends on where it is, which goes back to our soils 
and our site conditions conversation and that every single lot is going to be a little bit different. We have to use the materials that are going to work. It's not a one size fits all for everybody in every part of the country, right. which makes, and I'm going to go off on a wild tangent here just because I know how much you appreciate it. When we see these posts online and people are saying, hey, I got a bid from a pool company X and it's this amount of money. Is this too much or is it not enough? Am I being ripped off? And there's no way to answer that. None. Where I was going with the pavers mm -hmm. is some people use concrete pavers because to get stone pavers are, are being imported from somewhere. Like Turkey and Mexico. Turkey, Mexico. We met with someone the other day that was importing flagstone from India. Sure. So if you're near a port mm -hmm. and a major port in the country, then the cost of those materials are lower. The farther you get away from those ports, the higher and higher the costs go because of shipping. So in some parts of the country, there's no way in the world they're going to use a stone paver. They're going to use a concrete paver. Well, California's got plenty of ports. Yeah, one down. You know, they got a couple here and there. <laughs> but the so the other thing you have to look at is how materials handle freezing and thawing. Exactly. Okay, so in Colorado, I'm not going to use the same material that I'm going to use in Texas because the weather conditions are going to be a lot more harsh on that material. And so I can't speak of what they would use there. But that's why you've got different parts of the country that are using different materials that are going to work well. So you have to understand pavers are great because they'll move, whether they're concrete pavers or they're stone pavers. Those are both great solutions for that aspect. Here, again, the heat's a big deal. So stone pavers, most of them are denser mm -hmm. than concrete is. So therefore, they're cooler than concrete is. So it works better in, in that situation. But again, it's different for different parts of the country. Unfortunately, there's lots of different choices. Yes. There's plenty of options and choices and multiple price range. You brought up the concrete pavers. That's going to be the probably the least expensive paver. But the pavers, again, allow the flexibility on accordion type of theory where if the ground moves a little bit, we're not dealing with cracking concrete. So one thing we've used a lot of recently is we've used a lot of turf as paving as for patio areas and instead of coming in and actually using a masonry type product. It softens up the look a lot. It does. It brings some color. Organic material mm -hmm. in, especially a lot of the real modern pools, they want to keep things real clean and to the point of sterile, but they don't want it to look sterile and so they, they want to bring some color and some organic matter in and so the turf works well for patio areas or accenting we do a ton of that which is it's funny because 12 years ago i can remember the very first job i did and it was like why in the world are we going to put turf out here the only place i used it before that was in dog runs which was very effective for that but i was like why would people want to hang out on it it's really been in the last 10 or 12 years, would you agree, that we've started to see some really good products from the artificial grass manufacturers. It's getting better. Yeah, it's not all AstroTurf, which we can all lay on the Houston Astros building a stadium that had no sunlight in it and they couldn't grow grass. And so that's how that product was originally made. Go Rangers, by the way. Anyway. You know that I'm from Boise, right? Yes. Our stadium got covered in blue turf. Yes, I know. It's a big deal. No, I thought it was pretty cool. 
Uh, well, maybe that's the next step is we're going to go to colored turf around houses. Probably not. Mm. But so there's a lot of people also that are like, if I do concrete and I separate it into squares, so it's not one monolithic pour, is that less susceptible to a crack than if it's all one pour, which there is some theory to that because it allows for a little more movement as individual pieces. And we come in and do the turf accents in between. And so that's a, a solution in some cases. Sure. And so you're talking about pouring maybe larger slabs that are separated? You might do walkway pieces that are a five by four repeated over and over again, and then you use turf in between them. And then maybe the patio space is a 12 by 12 or a 14 by 14. Yeah. Well, what's nice about that is that, first of all, they all have to be formed separately. There's a lot of forming involved with that. So you're dealing with more labor, Much. but upside of that would be if one of those slabs cracked, now you're just replacing a small section. Yes, but that's not easily done. True. Pavers is much easier because mm-hmm. a lot of times we're doing a d- certain texture on that concrete. Sometimes we're introducing a color to that concrete. That brings up a good point because you're never going to match it. Uh, the word match is not a word. That's yep, that is true. Word. That should be a vocabulary word. Match. Yeah, because <laughs> it's not happening. We talked about being matchmakers, I think, in EP2. Yes. The one thing that you brought up with the forming, a lot of times people from a price point are like, that's got to be cheaper than doing pavers. When you do all the forming with that concrete and you use all the grass accents, it's about the same price as doing pavers. Sure. You're not going to save money by doing that. It's just a particular look that you're looking for. One of the things to consider probably is rather than just look at the cost of something, consider the segue between what's inexpensive and maybe, I hate to use the word cheap, inexpensive and the least expensive way to do it versus if I spend a little bit more money Am I not going to save on some hassle and get a little better and a different look? That's the debate there, is it not? Yeah. Yes. And with concrete, that can be a broad spectrum because you can do just a plain gray concrete with a broom finish on salt it. Salt finish, and colored concrete, then stamped you got concrete. Salt, then, or we got colored and textured. We've got acid etched concrete. We've got colored and textured and patterned. Okay. We're going to put a pattern into it. And if you get up to that, you're almost the price of a paper. In my experience in the last three decades with colored concrete or textured concrete, or even concrete that's been given some sort of pattern, but ultimately has to have a color added to it. So it gives a certain look. Sunbelt, where the sun is so brutal, it bleaches it out. It's just a matter of time before all that hard-earned money that you spent on a product that looked really good at first just really wasn't necessarily the right product to stand the test of time. Some people's solutions are to seal it. The problem which we started with the conversation is there's two things people look at is temperature and traction. And when you seal concrete, you're going to increase the temperature and you're also going to decrease the traction. And you're going to be committed to sealing. Yes. So it's just something you have to be prepared for if you're going to go down that route. Because sometimes people are like, that's the solution. Sometimes people don't realize what the end result's going to be. And you don't like the end result. And they're like, fix it. Concrete's a, a broad spectrum. The other thing that's gotten really popular recently is porcelain. So porcelain is cool because you can get these big formatted pieces like a two foot by a four foot piece and you lay this out and it's a real clean look and geometry 
But there's a couple of challenges I've run into with it is one is I was surprised on how warm it was, mm -hmm. at least the ones that I used. And then the other thing is some of them are pretty slick. So you want to be careful with what you look at with that. The other thing that I've run into when I have large formats is I lay out the very first job I ever did with porcelain. So this was funny. They decided after we had dug the pool that they wanted to switch to a porcelain deck. And so when we put the pavers down, we ended up with these spots all around the pool with slivers of, we got this pattern that's going, and then all of a sudden we'd have a three inch wide piece that would run the whole 32 foot length of the pool because the pattern didn't fit with the shape of the pool. That's a interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. So jobs that I know when I'm going to use porcelain going in, we design the walkway widths to receive two or three full pieces of porcelain. We figure out the width of the pool to receive 10 or 12 pieces of full pieces of porcelain. So we don't end up with these little slivers at the end result. Now, it sometimes becomes a huge math problem. So you have to have something that's fairly geometric in shape to pull that off. But it is a nice look from a viewing standpoint. And depending on the colors that you've used, and I've used very light colored ones, they haven't gotten too hot. But that is another material. And I know in some parts of the country, that's gotten really popular. Well, and I think that comes down to the execution of the plans. Because if the plans are done with a level of perfection that we're trying to attain, that math can all be done there. And that whole layout could be completed on the plans for the, you know, the tradespeople to follow. I have a pool in Dallas that we did that on. And the look I like on it, because it's the ceramic tiles only, it was less than an inch thick. It gets you down closer to the water. And that's been a design trend for years is how do we get this water up closer to us? I.e. we've got perimeter overflow pools where the water's at the same level of deck for a whole nother episode. Yeah, I, I think it's cool stuff. It looks good, but you bring very valid points to it that potentially could be warmer. And we've got uh, the slivers to deal with, the parts and pieces. Yeah, there's plenty to consider there. One thing here, again, because we're pulling stone out of the ground, is a lot of people will use native stone and they'll do a stone deck out of a, a flagstone material or something like that. And so it was done a lot in the past and the pendulum always swings on design styles. And so right. it's been very modern for the last several years. And in fact, about three years ago, I sat down to enter the awards and I was like, okay, what freeform pool am I going to put in this year? And I realized I hadn't done a single freeform pool in a year and a half. Sure. The pendulum is swinging now. I've done several recently. I've got several actually massive freeform pools under construction right now. And so some people want a stone deck, but they want a random pattern. And there's two extremes with that random pattern stuff that I run into. Some people will just take full pieces of stone and they put them down like a jigsaw puzzle. And then they just mortar in between the stones. And so some joints are a Half quarter inch, inch. And others are three inches. Yes, all over the place. And to me, that's a totally different look than if someone's going to come in and do a random pattern deck. But when they do a random pattern, they actually cut all the sides so you end up with a very tight joint pattern in between them all. It looks totally random, but actually every single piece is cut in multiple places. So the pieces all go together very cleanly. There's a lot more labor and wasted material on that, but it's a much more beautiful deck than a three inch grouted joint. Other things with 
paving. I've got one more thing to run by, but just what are you thinking? Keep rolling, pal. You're doing great. Okay. I'm a landscape architect mm-hmm. by nature. Okay. And I'm going to say education. Something. Okay. So one thing I'm just going to specify here, it is what's called a title law. And you cannot have the title landscape architect unless you've passed the board exam. Okay. I can have a degree in landscape architecture. I can practice landscape architecture, but I can't call myself a landscape architect unless I'm licensed in the state that I'm working in. So I was licensed in California, came back to Texas, and I didn't see a reason to keep the title and license here because I was specifically doing pools and outdoor living, but landscape architecture trained by nature. So one of the things I always ask people about their patio areas is how much landscaping do you want incorporated with it? And this is always a real interesting thing. And this is where I used to fall really in the wrong places, either too much or not enough with people. And now I get it pretty close. So I sit down with people and I say, okay, with the modern style, a lot of people want to come in and they want it really clean and neat. And so they pave everything. And then some people are like, oh, time out. That's a little too sterile. So let's break it up. And the first thing is the synthetic grass. Is some people are like, let's break it up with some synthetic grass. And then some people are like, I like pots. So let's use a few pots here and there. And if in Texas, pots basically are a good way to kill plants. Unless you do drainage and irrigation to them respectively. Sure. So I'm sure the same thing was the case in Arizona. It was, and a lot of people like putting planters around a pool. And the challenge with the planter is that, to your point a minute ago, it's got to be irrigated. Now we've got water all around the outside of the pool. And as I've said millions of times, probably not millions, but thousands of times to people, is the irony of a swimming pool is that it's the water that does the most damage, whether or not it's from the inside or the outside. Yeah. And so I personally don't like putting a planter right next to a pool. For that reason, I'm not saying it can't work or it doesn't work or that there's not ways to do it. Drainage is key. Drainage is always key. Some people are like, the foundation of my house is pretty ugly. So if we pave right up to it, that's going to look bad. Mm-hmm. So let's leave some spots for plants there. And then some people are like, I need some privacy. So I need some plants around the edges of this so I can screen out the neighbors, especially those second story windows. And then some people are like, I like plants a lot, so I want pockets of plants around mm-hmm. the pool and stuff like that. Some people don't want to put a walkway on all four sides or patio. They're going to put landscaping just on one side. Usually it's for the privacy situation. And then some people want a jungle. So I tell people, pave it all as a one and a jungle's a 10. What number are you? That's a good way to put it. Seems to me like it would depend on the style of the pool that's going to dictate that to some degree because a jungle around a freeform pool with a spa and a lazy river, that seems like the perfect mix. And I think where we're going with this is that what's happened, because we've talked a lot about how the industry has changed and morphed, but we're to your point, we're starting to see a little bit of a change where there's really not a norm anymore. It's, what do you want? What makes you happy? What's going to make you smile? That's, for me, the most important thing is that when I'm done, when your pool is finished, I want you to walk out there and go, man, I'm so glad I ran to Kevin. And this is the perfect design and is executed exactly like what we wanted. That's the end goal is a bunch of happy people. And usually one spouse wants more plants than the other does. So you have to negotiate through that to come up with their right balance. Because some people love pots and other people hate them. 
And some people like turf and other people hate it. So to me, you can't come in with a one size fits all with this type situation, even with style, because I have some people that are like, I want it modern. I want a lot of plants around it too. Sure. So that it's just the vessel is going to be a more modern. So plants help me identify the inconsistencies that if I assume one direction and I don't hit the mark later on, it's usually because I over or underdid the landscaping aspect of it. And so that's key for me to try to figure out how to leave all the pieces for that. That's excellent. So the word of the day, I think, needs to be channel drain. Okay, channel drain. What do you think about that? I was confused when you first brought this word up. So see, even people in the industry confuse things. I was thinking of deco drain, Uh which is where you sheet flowed the deck off up towards the house and that strip of plastic that's there. A lot of people use that because it's a very cost-effective way to do a drain. But you pointed out to me, that's not what you were talking about. You were thinking about something else. No, when you brought up a channel drain, or when we talked about channel drain, I'm thinking about the drains in the pool. I wasn't even considering the drains outside the pool. Well, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. even us in the industry can be confusing. That's true. And to your point, that's why we're doing this. Yes, sir. Let's take some confusement out of it, if that's even a word. So why do people do channel drains and how long have you used them? Oh, for many years. Okay. The problem we had, or the problem the industry had, I think, years ago, was some of the first renditions of what we would call safety drains, the anti-entrapment drains. Some of them, depending on the manufacturer, had a little bit of a rounded cone on the top of them so that the stuff could get in around the bottom. But the problem is the hose cleaners, suction side cleaners would get hung up on them. And so I think along with that and the fact that as the industry has improved and gotten better, especially within floor cleaning systems, we're pushing the stuff all the way around the channel drains, give you the capacity to have some of that stuff actually go down the drain. So for me, being simple-minded here, there's the round drain at the bottom of the pool, Mm -hmm. and there used to be just one of those. Yes, there was. Okay. And then for safety standpoint, the industry morphed to two of them. And by having two of them, that eliminated the possibility of a suction entrapment situation because if somebody covered one, the water would draw out of the other. Correct. Which is why they went to the split drains. Okay. And so on all projects that are done commercially, it's been required for all those single drains to be replaced. But there still are probably a lot of old residential swimming pools that still have one single round drain at the bottom. And that is attached to one single one and a half inch line that draws up to the bottom of the skimmer. And then the other line comes out of the bottom of the skimmer to the single source suction at the pump. So if you were going to remodel a pool from a safety standpoint, it would be a good idea to switch that single drain to a double drain. At the very least. Okay. And so the difference between the double round drain and a channel drain is a channel drain is usually a rectangle? Not necessarily. Okay. A channel drain has a channel around the shape of the drain that the larger debris can get into. What other shapes could they be? Round. It could be around. And rectangular. Okay. Is pretty normal, pretty standard. But those are going to allow debris into them versus the round disc ones. That everything just, just stays stuck at. It's stuck on the lid and it just lets water in. Okay. So the pro of a channel drain is? Safety. Okay. So safety. That's number one has the capacity to get that debris to a certain point 
up into, say, a leaf trapper or the hair and lint pot on the pump rather than clogging up the drain so that there's no flow. What's interesting is I was out a couple weekends ago. We were out looking at houses. And I think we looked at four houses in one day and every pool must have been built some time ago because they all had single drains and they all had one skimmer on the pool and they all had very minimal size piping. They all still had single speed pumps. Any of those types of pools at some point are going to have to be upgraded just from a safety perspective, but just usability right. working. So if you went back to somewhere around 2000, that's probably when I think the split drain mm-hmm. came into effect. Yep, that's uh, so right. any pools built in before that would have a single drain. Some of them did, but I don't think it was mandated to the industry or we didn't look at it as, okay, we have to do this anymore because there's companies that are going to build things at the least expensive way possible. And that's going to be the least expensive way, single drain to the skimmer and back to the pump. But yeah, we're not doing that anymore, So, which is a good thing. Yes. Okay, cool. So a channel drain, just to recap, is simply a drain that could be either a rectangle or a circle. And it's got a channel around the outside of it, which allows larger debris to make it into the drain. Sounds like lower maintenance and it's safer. Totally safer and definitely lower maintenance. So you want to have one of those at least with every pump that you have. Cool. All right, Mike. So I have a question that popped up here that needs to be asked that Matt in Florida okay. brought up. And I thought it was a great question because we were talking about it earlier. Because both you and I are very much involved in social media, you more so than me. Although I'm going to attempt to to bridge that gap. You're doing good. However, the question was, why as pool builders, pool designers, are we not posting prices of projects when we post a picture of a pool? Yeah, that's a good question. It's really a great question. And I'll bet you I see this at least once, if not twice a week, because I'm on a lot of those pages. and I love it because there's a level of information that's being shared. There's people commenting on that, but there's really no way we could give a price on any picture of any pool. Now we could say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Jones at this city spent this amount of money on this pool here, but nobody wants that information out. So there's just no way that anybody can give you a realistic number based upon a picture. Because as we've mentioned, there's different structural things that have to be done. So there's different material selections that are going to be chosen. There's different features that are picked. I've had a client that come in and literally just in the materials they selected around the pool, changed the price over $100,000. Decking material, tile material. Oh, let's do an all glass tile spa. So in a picture, that's hard to see all those amount of details. You go into a cabana, I want this particular type of wood ceiling. I want tongue and groove ceiling. I want to come in and I want to use these lights. I want to have heaters in the space. I want to have the electrical lighting package with LED strip lighting under all the bar counters and wrapping around. You could easily be a difference of $100,000 just there in a typical cabana. And what I've noticed is that when I see that, it's typically a one-pager as far as an estimate is concerned. And so it's got pretty limited. When they post, let me clarify, and I apologize for this. There's two different things here. There's a picture of a pool and they're trying to determine how much that cost. And then there's the people that post an estimate, which is not very thorough, that there's not a whole lot of information on it. 
and ask the question, is this a good deal? Right. Yeah. Those are two different questions. They're totally two different questions, but this is where my point is, is there's just not a way to do that. There's not a way for us to, that pulls $327,000 or that pulls $56,000. There's not a way to do that without guessing. And I'm not a guesser. You're not a guesser. We don't guess when we do this the right way. No. If I sat down and you showed me a picture of a car and I don't know a lot about cars, I buy a Honda Accord and drive it into the ground. So if you showed me a car, to me, it's a car, but I know that's not the case. I know that they're all, we were in Charlotte the other night in North Carolina and we drove by this place that had four cars in the showroom. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I asked my son, I said, are these expensive cars? And he's like, what do you think? I said, I've never heard of a McLaren. Anyway, they only have four in the whole showroom, so they must be expensive, but it looks like a car. So that's the same thing with a person looking at a picture of a swimming pool, trying to say, it's a pretty picture. I know what they're trying to get at is they're trying to establish what should my budget be for my project. Mm -hmm. If you could tell me what these things cost, then I would have a better idea on how to do that. But as we talked in a previous episode, that's not the most accurate way to do it based on your yard your soils, your utilities, your access, all those things make it totally different. And so to tell you what one person spent in one part of the country with a certain soil type and a certain access might be totally wrong. And we don't want to give you the total wrong information either. But that could also be the price of a pool prosper or north of prosper versus on the other side of Fort Worth. Totally different. Yeah, you can be in Las Colinas here and you can go 10 miles down the road to South Lake and you're totally different. Yes. So, yeah, it can be very short distances. And that is one of the many reasons Mike and I are doing this is we want to show people or we want to tell people, teach people the things that they need to be looking at and doing up front with the questions they need to be asking and to have all the information available so they can get the answers that they're looking for. We want to give them the answers, but it's, you can't really give an answer because there's all kinds of information that you don't have. And so it becomes a guessing game. That's never good for anyone. No, we don't want to guess and give you the wrong information. The other thing is some parts of the country, materials are more readily available. You buy with economy of scale. Soil conditions aren't as bad. The pool that's built in Florida is totally different than the pool built in Arizona, totally different than the pool built in Texas. So I can attest to that. Yeah. So versus the pool that's built in New Jersey is even totally different too. So hopefully that answered that question. I guess we didn't answer the question. But we didn't? <laughs> because we can't. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Great. This show is all about helping you become a better buyer, a better pool owner, and hopefully you're going to find some insights into how to enjoy your pool even more so, how to help your friends, your family, anybody looking to buy a pool in the future or that want to remodel their backyard, add an outdoor fireplace, fire pit, add an outdoor kitchen area, add some shade cells or whatever else it is. We want to be that resource for you. And that's the end goal here. And we promise that there's going to be a ton of information. We'll try to go through it, you know, as relatively quickly, but also slow so people can understand. But the intent of the show, the reason Mike and I are doing this is because we just got a lot in our heads and we want to share it. So we hope to see you here every single week. 
Thanks for listening. 